We're going to start a new series this afternoon called Game Changer, a new series that's going to look at basically those times in our lives when everything gets turned upside down. You ever have any of those? Anybody going through one right now? If not now, wait, (laughs) and you don't have to wait long. But what is a game changer? What do I mean when when I use that term, game changer? I think a pretty good definition would be this. It's an unexpected occurrence that changes the trajectory of an expected outcome. So in other words, when you think something in your life is headed towards this outcome and something else comes along as sometimes a roadblock, sometimes an obstacle, sometimes an opportunity, and puts you on a different trajectory, that you would say is a game changer, right? It's a term we are probably most familiar with through sports, right? A game changer. It comes to us through sports. Think of the Super Bowl. We're going to just continue to to just talk about the Super Bowl and talk about the Super Bowl and talk about the Super Bowl because, you know, the Chiefs won one time in 50 years, so we want them to really enjoy it. So, but think about that game. If you remember the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes to go was 20 to 10 San Francisco winning. And Patrick Mahomes, at that point in the game, threw an interception. And that looked like it sealed the whole thing. That looks like it was over. San Francisco has the ball. They have a two-score lead. There's only 10 minutes left in the game. The trajectory seemed pretty clear to most people, right? But that wasn't it. We get down to about seven minutes left in the game, and the Chiefs are facing a third down and 15 yards. And this is pretty much where it's going to turn, one way or the other, right? Third and 15, Patrick Mahomes drops back the pass. Tyreek Hill runs this crazy pattern that the Chiefs actually call WASP, is the name of the play. And Mahomes launches this bomb 44 yards downfield, and Tyreek Hill is standing there all by himself, catches the ball. And that changed the course of the game. The Chiefs went on to score came within one score, then they went on and scored again and actually won the game, right? So that pass was a game changer. Had San Francisco stopped that pass, it would have then been fourth down and absolutely desperation for the Chiefs. So you would look at something like that and say, okay, that's a game changer right there. That's a game changer. We also tend to use this word sometimes when we're talking about politics, right? You you can hear this even recently with the Uh, Probably starting in the South Carolina Democratic primary last Saturday when Joe Biden, who was considered to be in a trajectory right out of the the, uh, nomination, all of a sudden wins in South Carolina, and then everybody else drops out and starts supporting Joe Biden so that on Super Tuesday, he comes away the big winner. It's a game changer, they say, about Super Tuesday or the South Carolina primary. So this is where we're familiar most with the term, but we use it sometimes when we're talking about our lives. Can you think of the game changers in your life? I mean, if I asked you your personal story, your history, you would probably kind of go from game changer to game changer to game changer, right? Because that's how we remember our lives. That's how we tend to form the narrative of our lives around the game changers, We don't really get up and say, yeah, my life, I I get up and I do diapers and I can help the kids get ready for school. That's a reality in our lives, but when we're really telling our story, we're telling it more about the major changes in the way we thought our life was going to go this way, and now all of a sudden it's going that way. 
Does that resonate with you? Are you where you thought you would be at this stage in life? Has your history proven to be exactly what you thought it was going to be when you left home at 18 or 22 or whenever? No, it just doesn't happen that way, right? There's game changers. Relationships are game changers. Job changes are game changers. Health issues become game changers. All those sort of things, game changers. But there's one area in particular that I want to talk to you about through this series in game changing, and that's in faith. God is fully invested in game changers for us. He wants us not to remain the same. He wants us not to live in yesterday's faith, not to live in a place where we are comfortable and cozy, but not growing. Because ultimately his plan for your life and my life is so that we are transformed into the image of Christ. In order to be transformed, we have to go through a series of game changers because we tend towards complacency, right? Complacency is such a major problem in faith because it's just in our culture. We are a culture that values convenience. How many of you like convenience? We are a culture that loves our comfort zone. We, we never want to get out of our comfort zone, whatever that is for you, your lazy boy or wherever. We just love that. We, we think that's having it made, right? When we don't have to change, when we can do whatever we want, when we get to call all the shots, that's like being the ultimate American. But God's not interested in that. God's interested in our transformation. So as we go through this series, the objective of this series is this, to inspire us to a deeper revelation of God and his purposes through a willingness to challenge our assumptions. Let me say that again. We're teaching this series in order to be inspired to seek a deeper revelation of God and his purposes through a willingness to challenge our assumptions. So I'm asking you through this series to do two things. One, actually develop a desire to let God change you, to be willing to say, yes, take me out of my comfort zone. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, because I trust you. I believe you have what's best for me in mind. Therefore, go ahead and make the change that needs to be made in my life. Have your way in me. Pretty popular chorus that we sing, right? Have your way in me. The words are easy out of our mouths, but how hard are they to really introduce into our lives, to put into place? And then secondly, again, it's allowing God to challenge your assumptions by revealing something about who he is and who you are that you do not know as you sit here tonight. You do realize that our infinite God cannot be understood fully by our finite minds, right? And so he has provided an invitation to us. When we come to him and say, I trust you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. We are saying to him, show me everything that I need to know. Show me who I am. Show me who you are. And it's a lifelong journey for the finite to be discovering the infinite, And it's a beautiful journey. It's a journey that never ends unless we get complacent, unless we start saying, no, I like it right here, thank you. I don't want to be upset anymore. I don't want my assumptions to be challenged anymore. I don't really want a deeper revelation because you know what? A deeper revelation requires a different response. 
when God shows you something, you therefore have to respond to that, right? You have to process that and do whatever it is he's asking. But he wants us not to be complacent in our faith. And we get complacent. We get complacent for a number of different reasons. We get complacent because we just get too comfortable where we are. We get complacent because, frankly, sometimes we're too lazy to put in the effort, right? I'll I'll confess that before you. And then we also get complacent because we're too afraid of the unknown. How many times does Scripture say, do not be afraid? Do not fear. Fear is running rampant right now in our culture, isn't it? Fear in politics, fear of the, the coronavirus, fear everywhere. What a wonderful opportunity for us as the people of God to not act in fear, to not be afraid, to be the people who say we understand that God is on the throne. And if he's on the throne, I'm okay, no matter what may happen to me. See, faith is not static. Faith is dynamic. It's either increasing or decreasing. It never stays where you think it's staying. God is always interested in increasing our faith. Remember the apostles said that to Jesus one time. Increase our faith. Help us to see more than we're seeing right now. Help us to live more deeply in the trust that you're asking us to demonstrate. That's exactly what God wants for us. Faith increases when our assumptions are challenged and only when our assumptions are challenged because it's then that we begin to discover that God is even more trustworthy and even more faithful than you know him to be right now. So when we look back on our relationship with God and we say, oh, this has been beautiful, it's been wonderful, I can see how he works here, I can see him move, God's inviting us to go more, inviting us in deeper so that we can continue to have these assumptions challenged, so that we can continue to see how much greater he is. Remember I shared with you over the last month about his invitation to know how deep and wide and long and high is the love of God. Well, if we're going to discover that, we have to break the assumptions about how high and wide and deep it is right now, right? It only makes sense. And so from this series, here's the takeaway that we want you to get from the whole series. The game changers are the means by which God grabs our attention to help us see what we are lacking in faith. Game changers are the means by which God grabs our attention to help us see what we are lacking in our faith. Do you want a game changer in your life? Do you really want to know what you're lacking? Again, it comes down to an issue of trust. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God has what's best for you? Do you believe that he's taking you to a place that's more beautiful than where you are right now? I mean, think about it. This is the Easter season, right? If we were a liturgical church, we would be celebrating Lent. And Lent is a season of focus. Because the Easter story is the ultimate game changer, is it not? We've got this problem called sin, and sin, left unaffected, always 100% of the time leads to death, physical and spiritual death. And then when we look for a solution, rather than what we might anticipate, the cross becomes the solution. Death becomes the solution to death. 
Mind blown, right? That's a game changer right there. Because the cross defeats the power of sin and defeats the result of sin, which is death. And then the resurrection. So since the problem, the cross is the solution and resurrection is the result. And that resurrection brings new life. Dead isn't the bottom line. That's the ultimate game changer. It's more than a transaction. It's a lifelong journey to discover what God has created and made for us. This is God's unexpected way of restoring and renewing his people and his creation that we're invited into. Resurrection isn't just something we're going to celebrate on April 12th. It's something that we live in. And we're invited to peel back and discover the depth and understand how much more God has for those who love him. That's what the whole Lenten season is all about. That's what this series is going to be about. So we're going to look into the lives of some of the great heroes of Scripture. Because almost everybody in Scripture is the narrative or story of a game changer. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think of the Apostle Peter. Think about Samuel. Think about Moses and Joshua. Think about Mary. Think about Nicodemus. Think about, you name it, ultimately leading to Jesus himself as Lord and Messiah, the game changer of all game changers. And scripturally, I want to anchor this series in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let me read this chapter to you. I believe it's on the screens as well. Listen all the way through with your spiritual ears. When I first came to you, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Say secret. Right? Secret means we have to dig for it. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom but in the power of God. Yet, when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. Say mystery. His plan that was previously hidden. Say hidden. Even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Say secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. 
When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. The goal of the game changer spelled out right here, to be able to live our lives out of the mindset of God by his Spirit's teaching, by his Spirit's revelation, by his Spirit's leading, so that we can perceive everything from a perfectly divine perspective rather than a limited human perspective. Let me ask you, how many times has your limited human thinking and perspective gotten you into trouble? How many times today has your limited human understanding gotten you into trouble? God is offering us something, dear brothers and sisters, through his spirit, a deeper understanding of his mysteries, of his secrets. It's available to us. And it's so important that we, miss, we don't miss this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What he's telling us is it comes from a heart of love to those who love. This is a gift of God out of his love for you for those who choose to love him. But it was to us that God revealed by his spirit. The spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. See, it comes through spiritual formation in our lives as we gain spiritual discernment. We step away from thinking out of our flesh and thinking out of our human desires and we begin to actually discern what God is doing and who God is and how he's at work. And in that, we begin to be formed by the spirit rather than being formed by our own interest or by our culture. That's what Christian maturity is all about so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. I'm in for that, aren't you? How many of you would come down on Christmas morning and see a whole pile of presents and never open them? That would be like the worst, right? That defeats the whole purpose of Christmas. Don't, don't touch them. Just look at them because they're nice and pretty. That's what we sometimes do when God's given us so much. Wonderful things God has freely given us. See, it comes as an invitation. God is inviting us into the infinite by his spirit. Will you go? Are you interested in that journey is what he's asking us. The author of these words, the Apostle Paul, knows this firsthand, right? Probably nobody in all of scriptures, we're going to start with Paul today because nobody in the whole scripture probably has a more dramatic game changer in his life than the Apostle Paul. You know the story, right? 
We're going to look at it briefly, and we're going to look at a couple of different things. Who is Paul before he has this encounter? What's the game changer itself? And then the effect that it has on Paul and his understanding of the kingdom and how he responds to it. So Paul before the encounter, we know him. He's not even Paul, right? He's Saul. Paul is his Christian name, his Greek name, if you will. He's known previously as Saul the Pharisee. He's a religious Jewish leader and teacher of the Pharisee sect, which is the ones not as literal in their interpretation of the Old Testament as the Sadducees were, but people who were very much about their religious form and performance. And he's a teacher among them. And he's writing a letter later on after his conversion to the Philippians, and he kind of sums up how he sees himself previously to this game changer. He says, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. See, what he's doing, he's pulling out his resume and saying, take a look at this. This is what I thought was important. This is what I thought success was. This is why everybody looked at me and said, wow, look at Saul. That's how he sees himself. That's what he was doing. How would you describe Saul the Pharisee? Well, you say, okay, this guy is certainly confident, proud, really, of his efforts, of his ethnicity, of his education. He's he's pretty proud, kind of cocky, maybe. He's certainly biblical, right? He's biblical. He knows Torah. He knows it in and out. He studied it. He teaches it. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. That's a good thing. But here's the thing, Saul's got all of God and religion in this nice little box. This is who God is, this is what God looks like, this is God, what he expects of you. If you do it, you'll please him. If you don't do it, well, too bad for you. Because the last thing Saul the Pharisee is, is judgmental, right? Oh yeah, he's judgmental. He knows his interpretation is the only true interpretation, right? And anyone who thinks differently is a heretic, a false teacher deserving punishment or even death. That's why he's going after the church, because he's zealous for God. And if you don't see God the same way he sees God, if you don't have the same revelation he has, then you're not worthy. And so he serves as a warning to us, because guess what? There are people and there are churches today who claim to follow Jesus, who think and act just like Paul's kind of Pharisee today. Look at my Facebook, and I'll show you. And so we meet Saul at the end of Acts 7 and in Acts chapter 8 at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is the great witness of Jesus who stands before the Sanhedrin and reads out the whole Jewish history to them. And then all of a sudden, he starts pointing his finger at them and says, you missed God. 
And so they decide, well, guess what? He's a heretic, so we got to kill him. We're going to stone Stephen. And it tells us in there that his accusers took off their coats and they laid it at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was one of the witnesses and agreed completely, it says, with the killing of Stephen. If your religion leads you to kill somebody, you need to recheck your religion. Because I guarantee you one thing, it isn't Christian. You can't love your enemies and kill your enemies simultaneously. Although there are lots of people who have tried to give you a justification for doing it. And it says at that point, a great wave of persecution breaks over the church, sweeping through the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This cocky, biblical, judgmental, religious guy who thought he was doing it all for God. And so he's on his way to Damascus. You know why he's going to Damascus, right? Well, we've taken care of cleaning up the church in Jerusalem. Let's go up to Damascus and start cleaning out the church in Damascus as well. And on the way, he has his game changer. Acts 9, here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. That's the way of describing Christians, right? The way. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women. See, he wasn't... On International Women's Day, he was playing total equality. He wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. That's a game changer right there, right? So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there for three days, did not eat, and did not drink. What are you going to do in that position? I contend you're going to sit there and pretty much reevaluate everything you thought and everything you believed and everything that you hold dear. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to get him to do. Because for all of his faults, Saul was sincere in his love for God. He thought he was honoring God in that warped way that somehow you can kill people and still honor God. And God loves the Pharisees. We like to, we like to push them out the door, right? Sometimes in the Christians we think, oh, the Pharisees. Jesus died for Paul. Jesus died for your worst enemy. Jesus died for both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Right? So what happens? 
You go down to verse 19 of Acts 9, it says this, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Of course they're amazed. This guy's going around looking for people who will confess Jesus as the Son of God so he can kill him. And now he himself is preaching Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. This is a game changer, and everybody, notice this, everybody's noticing the game change in his life. And that's an important part of why God changes us, for our witness, for our testimony, right? So when, when Paul later in his life begins to think about this encounter, think about this game change that's taken place, He'll say things like this, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. See, there's a hint right there. He's zealous for tradition, for culture, for rules and regulations, thinking he's honoring God that way, but he's not, right? He's actually missing out on God. Sometimes we fall into that same pattern. We, we show up at church, we serve at church, we do this, we do that, but are we really missing out on God? He says to the Romans, he said, yeah, I was zealous, but guess what? It was a misdirected zeal. Is there anything more dangerous than misdirected zeal? In other words, he thinks he's working for God, but he's actually working against God, isn't he? He's working against God's purposes. That's, that's what's so dangerous about religion without the Holy Spirit. Because see, you heard him say the Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. The Spirit is the one who's going to reveal the things of God to you. And if you try to reveal, find the revelation of God that's not Spirit-led, then you become like this, misdirected zeal. And Jesus, he remembers it said to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. What you see is Paul's game change creates a new way of seeing things. All of a sudden, the followers of Jesus are not the heretics worthy of death. They're the people that he actually gets called to go serve. And instead of that cocky Pharisee, he becomes the humble servant of God, the apostle of God, who goes out to the very people who he never thought he'd ever have anything to do with, the ones he would have rather killed just before this. So here's the takeaway. Game changers are designed to make us different people who make a difference for the kingdom of God. When God does a game change in your life, his purpose is to make you different so that you can make a difference. That makes sense? Because it's never just about what he's doing in you, it's about what he wants to do through you, no matter how wide your circle of influence may be or not be. 
We all interact with somebody, and God wants to change you so that you can make that difference in somebody else. That's why at the very end of his life, as we finish up here, it's important for us to see how Paul actually describes this difference in himself. What's his self-evaluation? Think of the game change in your life that made the most difference. And the person you thought you were before versus the person you would describe yourself as now. Right? You heard how he described himself before. This is how he describes after the game change. When he's writing to Timothy, he says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me worthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used, the name, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, not in my self-righteousness that he had before, but in my insolence, I persecuted the church. I persecuted God's people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. How generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. God did a game change in me, he's saying. And he goes on to say to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Can you, can you just picture this guy? Can you, can you, can you grasp this change? I mean, think, think of... Think of the most arrogant person you can think of. If they're sitting near you, don't make any eye contact. <laughs> but seriously, think, think of a person who is so self-righteous, so self-assured, so willing to tell you everything he knows is right and everything you believe is wrong. There's a lot of them out there right now, right? Our political season, perfect for this. And then imagine that person if you're a Republican, imagine the Democrat. If you're a Democrat, imagine the Republican actually coming to a completely different place because of something God has done in their life to where they actually say, you know what? I'm actually the chief of sinners. I'm, I'm the one who least deserved God's grace. I'm the last person God should have cared enough to actually do this major game change in my life. I'm the last person to stand here and tell you I used to see God this way, but now I see God this way. That's what we see here. We see a person who would go from the absolute villain of Scripture as he opposes the church to the one who actually winds up writing most of the New Testament the one who gets preached in so many churches around the world every single Sunday. This is dramatic. And it's all from a heart of love. It's all from the grace of God who cares so deeply for him and has such a beautiful plan for his life. An easy plan? No. Elsewhere he'll say, well, that's the way I got beaten with the rod, I got shipwrecked, I've gotten exiled, all of these things. The game change that God is going to bring in your life, brothers and sisters, is not always comfortable. Anytime we get shaken out of our comfort zone, 
it's not comfortable, right, by definition. But if you trust the heart of love, you trust the spirit of God that's leading you, it always will take you to a better place. A better place in your personal relationship with him and a better place of ministry for his kingdom's sake. That's what we're seeing here. God had mercy on me so that Jesus Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with the worst sinners. And you know what? Remember that Paul's writing this particular letter at the very end of his life. You'd think, okay, well, yeah, that's how he might have seen himself on the first day of his conversion, but then he starts, I'm getting better and better and better and better and better, better, right? He sees it the opposite. He understands grace more deeply and deeply and deeply and deeply as the time goes on so that at the end of his life, he recognizes that he really was the chief of sinners because he's immersed in this love and grace of God. He's had this major game change, but the continual game change is going on. And that's what God wants for each of us. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. God is putting me out there showing my game change so that other people can put their hope in a game change that God wants to do for them. And then look what he says at the end. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Scripture tells us God plays no favorites. The old King James, God is no respecter of persons, meaning that he doesn't love Alex more than he loves me. He doesn't love me more than he loved Paul. God wants this for every single one of us. He is thoroughly invested in leading you to a place of unbelievable depth in your faith, an unbelievable tapping into his grace and his mercy and his love, an unbelievable plan to use your life, as simple as you think it might be. That's why he's brought you to himself. That's his purpose for your life. But it's going to take a willingness to do something different. It's going to take a willingness to say, God, break through my assumptions. Show me those secrets. It's going to take a hunger that says, God, my eye hasn't seen it yet, and my ear hasn't heard it yet, nor has it even entered into my mind the thing that you have for me. But I want it. The most difficult thing about being in ministry, the most difficult thing about being a preacher, a teacher, I think Alex would agree with me, is that we can give you the word, we can give you hope, but we can't give you desire. That has to come from within you. The desire to break out of your complacency, the desire to embrace change, trusting that difference is a good thing, something different, something new, when it comes from God's spirit, is revolutionary, is life-changing. That's what he wants for you. I saw this great quote from Danielle Strickland, a teaching pastor at the Meeting House in Ontario. She said this, difference through the lens of fear is a threat. 
difference through the lens of faith is an opportunity. God is going to bring something different into your life. He's going to bring a game changer into your life. Yes, another one. And you have the choice of how you are going to face that and embrace that. Will you embrace it in fear? Or will you embrace it by faith? Will you see it as a threat? Or will you see it as the opportunity to understand the deep things of God? See, Paul once thought anything outside of his way of thinking, his way of seeing things, anything different, that's a threat. And it has to get wiped out. Because that's what we do to threats, right? We want to wipe them out. That's why there is no hand sanitizer anywhere. (laughs) Even though what I've read said hand sanitizer won't kill the coronavirus. Who are you going to believe? We tend to want to wipe out threats. And when we think difference is something to be afraid of, then it becomes a threat. And so it takes this dramatic encounter for God to get Paul's attention. And what he's teaching us is that the new thing that God wants to reveal to him is actually an opportunity. It's not a threat. It's an opportunity. And he's saying the same thing to you and I tonight. You have an opportunity. I am going to bring about something in your life that will give you the opportunity to be different. Something that is going to get your attention so that you can understand my heart for you and my plan and purpose for your life. Will you take it as an opportunity? Will you pay attention to what God is showing you And watch how he brings about this game changer both in you and through you for his glory and honor, for the sake of his kingdom. Just before the worship team comes back, let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the Bible. We thank you that our Bible is not the narrative of perfect people doing perfect things. We thank you that the examples that we see in Scripture are examples to teach us about what it means to be human and all of its failures, all of its flaws, all of its occasional glories, but what it means to be spiritual what it means to be willing to allow you to have your way in our lives, what it means to humble ourselves, knowing that you oppose those who are proud, but you give grace to those who are humble. And so I ask, Father, that you search our hearts, that you would let your spirit check us to see if we are in a place of complacency, if we are complacent due to the fact that we just like it there or we're just too lazy to change or we are indeed trapped by fear. And let your spirit break that bond tonight. Not all of the stories that we're going to see are as dramatic as Paul's. That doesn't have to happen to everybody. But we know that you desire change. We know that you have great things things beyond our comprehension 
if we but live in love for you. So God, we just make ourselves available tonight before you. Say, speak to us and fill us with your Holy Spirit because it always comes down to being filled with your Spirit to take us to places that our human reasoning and minds can never get to. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, amen. Amen.